So let's get back to the techniques. How do we, what do we do about it? So step number one, master the internal triggers. If you don't master the internal triggers, they will become your master. Learning techniques to deal with this noise, with the saboteur in your head that's telling you, do something else, escape this discomfort. This feels crappy. I need to turn on the TV. I need to check the mail. I need to do whatever, do the dishes, do anything, but the task at hand that I'm trying to escape the emotional discomfort of doing. Okay. That's step number one, master internal triggers. And, and there's a dozen different techniques in the book. We can talk about some of them about how you can do that. Step number two is make time for traction. This is very important. You can't say something is a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I'll say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if there's nothing on your calendar, if it's blank for that period of time, what did you get distracted from? <laughs> the only know, the way to know what is distraction is to know what is traction. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce you to my guest, Mir Ayal, the esteemed author of the renowned book, Indistractable. In today's conversation, Nir provides a profound insight into mastering attention and sustaining focus. We delve into topics such as effective time management, prioritization, and decision-making strategies. Additionally, we explore how to seize control of your attention's direction, the drawbacks of traditional to-do lists, and Nir's insightful alternatives. His infectious energy and engaging demeanor made for a great conversation. All right, that was a mouthful of an introduction, but I want to emphasize how much I truly enjoyed this conversation with Nir. About halfway through, he decided to use me as a case study, which was fascinating for me because I was able to see how triggers occur in my own life. So hopefully that's also insightful for you. Nir someone I definitely want to get back on the podcast in the future because, as I said at the end, we barely scratched the surface of this book. It's so rich in information. It's one I've had in my Amazon storefront for the past couple of years as it's one of my favorite books for personal growth. So it was about time to have him on the podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. But before we get there, I quickly want to share my minimalist resource of the week with you. A few weeks back, I shared one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow, and it's from author John Deloney, who is an expert in mental health and part of Ramsey Solutions team. Well, he has a new book that I just finished called Building a Non-Anxious Life. When I first picked up this book, I wasn't someone that regularly thought to myself, oh, I'm anxious. Maybe I had fleeting feelings of anxiety, but I wouldn't say that I lived an anxious life. It wasn't until I read through this book, found myself underlining so many of his points, and I realized that pretty much everyone in my life could benefit from reading this for one reason or another. This world can be really tricky to navigate, and so John provides six foundations for how to overcome and build a better life. I promise you haven't read a book on anxiety like this one. So the book again is Building a Non-Anxious Life by John Deloney, and I'll fill you in with a little bit of a secret. John will be joining me two weeks from now. So stay tuned for that interview. But until then, enjoy this amazing conversation with author Nir Ayal. I was just saying good morning to you, but you are actually 12 hours ahead of me. So you are getting ready for your nighttime routine. So I know this is a little tricky getting this recorded despite the time zone difference, but I'm glad to have you here today. Oh, my pleasure. And welcome uh, and regards from Singapore. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Singapore. I couldn't remember where you said you were located. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking about your book, Indistractable. I think it's so important to focus on how we can get back to a concentrated mindset and just maybe minimize the triggers in our lives that are making us so distracted. So before we get there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll start the conversation. Sure. Absolutely. So I've uh, devoted the past, uh, uh, let's see, seven years to studying this problem of distraction and not just on a surface level, uh, because I think what we tend to do is what I what I did certainly when I came to this problem of distraction is that I, I tend to blame the things that I thought were the problem, you know, like our phones and our televisions and the media and all this stuff outside of us. And uh, that's kind of what I where I started my journey. I thought I was going to write a book about uh, how products get you uh, to, to do all these bad things that hurt you and distract you. And I tried actually taking a lot of the advice that uh, some some experts give around, you know, get rid of your cell phone, stop using social media. And it didn't work <laughs> because I kept getting distracted. Uh, you know, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. And so I really wanted to take a deeper dive into the psychology of distraction. Why is it that despite knowing what to do, I mean, this is an ancient question. Part of the reason I know now that the problem is not just our cell phones. It's not just uh, social media. That's not the source of the problem. Is that people have been struggling with this problem for at least the past 2,500 years. We know that Plato, the Greek philosopher, was complaining about akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interests. And that was 2,500 years before we had the internet. So the source of the problem can't be technology's fault. There has to be something deeper going on. And what I discovered was that the answer and the solutions are much more interesting and much more empowering than I think uh, a lot of other gurus and experts will have you think. Yeah. And you talk a lot about the traction versus distraction. And I'm curious, just this doesn't really fit here at the very beginning, but I also wonder if maybe I think that in times of stress, so we have just moved and just kind of reading through your book, I'm noticing the triggers and having to stay in that uncomfortable feeling when I just want stress relief. Yeah. No, so so you're you you've read the book, so you you're far ahead of of the listener. So let's catch everyone up here. So let's start with what is distraction? What are we talking about when we use this term? Well, the best way to understand what distraction is is to understand what distraction is not. What is the opposite? What's the antonym of distraction? Most people will tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not true. That if you look at the etymology of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Of course it is. Traction and distraction. They're opposites. They both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we ourselves take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do. Things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become, those are acts of traction. The opposite, distraction, is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, further from your goals, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is super important. This isn't just semantics. This is incredibly important because I would argue that any action that you plan for in advance with intent is traction. So we need to stop moralizing and medicalizing these behaviors. If you want to go on Facebook, go on Facebook. If you want to check out a movie on Netflix, enjoy. If you want to go play video games, do it. Why, somebody tell me, why is watching a sports match on TV, why watching some inconsequential 
silliness of of a sports game. Now, there's anything wrong with that. Why is that somehow morally okay? But oh, social media is melting our brains. Can someone answer what's the difference? I'd much rather have people interacting with people, connecting with other people, than just mindlessly watching the boob tube for hours, wouldn't you? So if we can stop moralizing these behaviors that make us feel shame and blame, and instead say, look, if you want to do these things, do it, but do it on your schedule, not someone else's, certainly not the tech companies. So that's traction. Conversely, anything can be distraction if it's not what you plan to do, including work-related stuff, right? So for me, for years, I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, I've got my to-do list. By the way, we can talk about why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. We can get back to that. I take out my to-do list and say, okay, I know I have that big and important project that I have to work on, that thing that I've been procrastinating on, the thing that I've been delaying. I know I have to do that. But before I get started, mm, let me just check some email. That's a work task. I'm being productive, right? Let me just do some other things on my to-do list just to get some momentum going. And I didn't realize that that is the most dangerous, most pernicious form of distraction the distraction that you don't even realize is happening and gets you to prioritize the easy and the 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 the, the uh, urgent work at the expense of the hard and important work you have to do to move your life and career forward. So just because it's a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. Okay, so we've got traction, we've got distraction. Now let's talk about what prompts us to traction and distraction. These are called triggers. What everybody tends to blame when it comes to distraction are these external triggers, the pings, the dings, the rings, things in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. And that absolutely can be a cause of distraction, but studies find it only accounts for about 10% of the times we get distracted. Only 10% of the time that you get distracted is it because of something outside of you. 90%, 90% of the time that we get distracted, it's because of what's happening inside of us. These are called internal triggers, boredom loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety, all these internal triggers that you mentioned earlier, this is the source of 90% of the times we get distracted. So unless we understand what's really going on inside of us, unless we understand the root cause of the problem, and we just keep blaming, blaming technology for all our woes, we're not going to get anywhere. Because whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you're always going to get distracted by something if you don't know the root cause of the problem. Because people have been getting distracted for at least the past 2,500 years. So it behooves us, especially now, I think what's changed, okay, what's different today? What's different today is that if you are seeking distraction, it's either easier than ever to find, right? But of course, that's the price of progress. The fact that I'm in Singapore, you're on the East Coast, we can talk to each other over thousands of miles on these video screens, right? That would have been like, you know, blow my mind type of technology when I was a kid. We couldn't have imagined that this could actually happen. The price of all that progress, the price of having the world's information at your fingertips, the price of, uh, of being constantly entertained and informed and connected is that we have to learn some new tools. We have to learn some new tactics that help us become indistractable. And the good news is we can all do it if we know how. We just, of course, have not been taught how to do it. Yeah. Uh, something that resonated with me, and it's early on, I, I would say, but you talk about how we will pick up our phone or we'll get distracted and then we carry it on to the next activity that we're doing at a traffic light. You'll pick up your phone to just look really fast and then you use it as you continue to drive. Right. 
Yeah, these are called liminal moments, these times between times. And uh, there's nothing wrong with checking your email. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, going from place to place and having like when I when I walk from place to place, I oftentimes look at my phone. That's OK. Like as long as I'm walking from place to place and I'm not, you know, endangering anyone, I don't do it in my car <laughs> primarily because I don't drive anymore in Singapore. We don't need cars. Um, but uh, if I'm walking from place to place, yeah, I'll look at my phone. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what I intended to do. Now, problem is if you get back to your desk and you're still looking at your phone, or you start driving and you're still looking at your phone, now it becomes a problem. And so that's where that's that's very dangerous. We have to be very, very careful uh, about letting those behaviors bleed in. And so that's why one of the techniques I highly advocate for in the book is called time boxing. And this is not a technique I invented, but it is the most widely studied technique around uh, uh, time management. And it, it has a fancy term in psychology. It's called making an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And this is one of those critical skills. And, and by the way, let me say, uh, Indistractable is not written specifically for people with ADHD. It's written for everyone. But I will say that many ADHD coaches use Indistractable as the first line of defense because what they've experienced, what many people are experiencing today, is that medication is not for them for whatever reason. Uh, you know, there, there are side effects to these medications that, that, that we don't, I don't think we give enough weight to. And even if medication is the right choice for you, we always want to teach skills before pills. And I think, unfortunately, very few practitioners uh, have that, that practice because it's just so difficult. I mean, they have a lot of demands. You know, we know that mental health resources are, are very scarce in the United States. And so many people, especially in rural areas where there isn't a lot of services provided, they just pop out pills and say, okay, you have a diagnosis, here's a pill. Well, you know, I think we need to take a break and ask ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we take the pill, how do we make sure we have the skills? And, and if the skills are unacquirable, for whatever reason, there's people who have severe ADHD or OCD. And in those cases, yes, maybe after we've tried adopting some of these skills, then let's see if medication is the right course of action. But please, for God's sakes, try and learn the skills, especially when it comes to our children, before we start taking these pills, because every pill has some kind of side effect, even if not physiological, psychologically, right? I know many, many people who started taking ADHD medication as children and then start developing this, this belief that they have to have the medication or they can't, do, they can't go out without it. And we know now that in fact, many ADHD medication, Adderall, for example, doesn't beat a placebo. It was just in their head. It was the, the 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 magic feather effect. You know, if you've ever watched the movie Dumbo, where the mouse gives Dumbo the magic feather, and okay, it turns out it was a, it was a placebo effect the whole time. The Adderall's no better than a placebo. So we, we have to teach these skills, especially to our children. One of the most important skills is to plan your day. We just have to start doing this. I know people say, oh, I don't want to do that. I need my flexibility. I need my uh, my ability to be spontaneous. Okay, shut up. <laughs> because, listen... If you are, unless you are retired or a child, if you're not doing what you say you're going to do, chances are it's because you're not planning your time. And, and I did this as well. I would have a big long to-do list and I would have a million things to do. And I bought into this productivity system, which we know now is awful. Keeping to-do lists and running your life on to-do lists is terrible. We know that now. What's a much, much better, why doesn't, why doesn't a to-do list work? Because a to-do list has no constraints. There's no constraints. I can always add more to-do to list. I want to write a novel. I want to do my laundry. I want to make sure that my kids get into a great school. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. It's a list of output. Well, if you don't have input, 
you're not going to have an output, right? If you go to the baker and you say, hey, uh, my daughter has a birthday party. I need a dozen cupcakes. Well, the baker's going to say, okay, I need flour. I need sugar. I need butter. I need the input in order to make the output. Well, what's your input? If you want to do all these things on your to-do list, where is the list of inputs? There's only two, time and attention. But if you don't plan for it, it won't happen. And so this is what happens. You have this big, long list of stuff you didn't do. And even though you're running around like crazy, you feel crappy because there's all this stuff you didn't get done. And so what do you start telling yourself? I'm no good at time management. Uh, I, I, I have an impulsive personality. I can't do this. It's just not part of my DNA. I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> you hear all these crazy excuses that people make. And then, of course, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They start believing this stuff, and so they don't even try. Right, And this becomes very, very dangerous, especially with a label like ADHD, because as soon as something doesn't go our way, what do we say? Oh, it's that ADHD. Well, guess what? The moment you start saying that in your head, oh, you see why I can't concentrate? It's the ADHD. Guess what? Now your attentional focus is taken off of the thing you were trying to concentrate on, right? So we have to be very, very careful with, I think, a lot of these common practices that many people don't realize are actually sabotaging themselves. So let's get back to the techniques. How do we, what do we do about it? So step number one, master the internal triggers. If you don't master the internal triggers, they will become your master. Learning techniques to deal with this noise, with the saboteur in your head that's telling you, do something else, escape this discomfort. This feels crappy. I need to turn on the TV. I need to check the mail. I need to do whatever, do the dishes, do anything but the task at hand that I'm trying to escape the emotional discomfort of doing. Okay. That's step number one, master internal triggers. And, and there's a dozen different techniques in the book. We can talk about some of them about how you can do that. Step number two is make time for traction. This is very important. You can't say something is a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I'll say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if there's nothing on your calendar, if it's blank for that period of time, what did you get distracted from? <laughs> the only know, the way to know what is distraction is to know what is traction. If it's blank, you didn't plan anything. So you've got to put in your calendar not only time to do work, right? Of course, the worky stuff, that's easy. We also have time to plan to, for yourself, if meditation is important, if prayer is important, if television is important, video games are important, social media, if that's important to you, it's got to be on your calendar. And so that's why I think that the social media and technology is not the source of the problem. I love these tools and I use them every single day and they really benefit me and my business, but it's planned for. I have literally have time on my schedule for social media. It's in my calendar. And so now I've turned distraction into traction. So that's step number two is make time for traction. Step number three is hacking back the external triggers. So this is where we get very practical into, okay, you know, how do we hack back our phones, our computers? It's a, to only 10% of our distractions originate from these external triggers. But in a you know, very few steps, I can teach you very, very quickly how to hack back all these external triggers. What's more difficult is not the, the pings, dings, and rings. It's the stuff we don't think about as distractions. How many pointless meetings do we go to that are nothing more than a waste of time? What about our kids? We love them to death, but they can be a huge distraction, right? What do we do about that? And then finally, the last step of becoming indistractable is to prevent distractions with pacts. Pacts are an ancient device, an ancient technique that has been used for at least the past 2,500 years, which is where we make a pre-commitment. We make a promise to ourselves in advance of what we will do when we're tempted to get distracted. And so it's the last line of defense. It's a firewall against distraction. So when we use these four techniques in concert, master internal triggers, 
make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. This is how anyone can become indistractable. As you're trying to pursue a more minimalist lifestyle, it can be tricky, especially around the holidays, to figure out what to gift people. The fact is, most of us aren't going to stop giving gifts, but how can we be more intentional, sustainable, and prioritize quality over quantity? I have a great recommendation for you, and that's Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth has perfect holiday gifts that are both luxurious and sustainable. They've been voted one of Oprah's favorite things for five consecutive years, and they're both comfortable yet stylish. Cozy Earth's best-selling bamboo sheets or their temperature-regulating, incredibly soft bamboo pajama collection is a great way to gift ultimate coziness. And Cozy Earth allows you to give the gift of loungewear that you can enjoy not just this winter season, but all throughout the year. So check out Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today, up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code MINIMALIST. Whoa. Okay. You said a lot there and that was all so helpful. Yeah. I know, no, no. The one thing that, no, this was great. I think the one thing that you didn't touch on was sitting with our uncomfortable feelings, having you speak to that idea of sitting in the discomfort. So the stress that I'm feeling right now, you say that's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable and that that's actually very normal. What do we do with that though? Yeah. So you need tools in your toolkit. So you need to do something in all four areas. You know, it'd be super helpful actually is, um, cause you asked a lot in that question. There's a lot of like things that, that I'd love to touch on. Maybe it would be best. No, no, it's fantastic. Um, may, maybe, and I want to come back to them. Like, for example, like when I plan my day, what if something unexpected happens, right? That happens all the time. We can talk about that. Um, but maybe what would be best is to do a case study. Maybe, is there anything in your life? Like, can you think of the last time that you said, Oh, I really need to work on that. You start working on it. And then you, you don't continue. You, you, you said you were going to do it and here you go. You're off track. Can, you want, you want to do a quick case study together? Sure. That would be helpful. Yesterday I have photography I'm behind on. It's fall. Everyone wants their photos taken. And I sat down in the morning before my kids got up, but then one joined me and I was like, okay, I got to get to this. And it just didn't get done for many hours. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So you, you started working on something and then you're one of your children, son, daughter, Son, yeah. Joined you when you had planned that time to work on your photography business. Mm-hmm. Do you, okay, so that, okay, so every distraction has three sources, three potential sources. Every distraction, there's only one of three potential reasons either an external trigger, an internal trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. Every, every distraction. In this case, what happened was an external trigger. Okay. You, you, you plan the time. So it wasn't a planning problem. I'm assuming you plan the time to do that. Did you have it on your calendar? No, I actually, I was going to say, I think it was the planning problem. I think that I haven't had time to plan out focused time. And I think that the external trigger of my son, it made me feel emotional of, oh, I should connect with him right now. Yeah. Okay. Guess what? You got all three. (laughs) So the planning problem, first of all, you've got to be able to, to, to set that time aside. Yeah. And I want you to stop measuring yourself on, did I finish? So what most people do is they put something on their to-do list and they measure their self-worth by how many cute little boxes they check off. Mm-hmm. I invite you to try and measure yourself, right? Measure how well you're, 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 you're doing, not on how many things you finish. The goal is not to finish. Stop with that goal. Because frankly, you don't know how long things are going to take. Do you really know when you say, okay, I've got lots of photography stuff to do. How, how, are you ever going to be finished? You're never going to be finished. So instead, try measuring yourself by, did I do what I said I was going to do? 
whatever that thing might be, whether it's spending time with my kids, whether it's working on my photography business, whether it's doing the podcast, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? That's it. Okay, talk about minimalist mom. Did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? It does not matter if you finished, only whether you did what you said you're going to do for as long as you said you would without distraction, because then you have a feedback loop to, to inform you how long things take, right? You can say, okay, I worked on something for 30 minutes. That's all I did. How much did I get done? And now you begin to learn how long things take as opposed to what most people do. Okay, I got to go through all these photos. Okay, uh, I'm going to start with this five minutes and then I got an email and then uh, my kid needs me and then I do this. And then that's why it takes us 10 times longer to finish a task because we don't just work on that task without distraction. So that's, that's number one. That's why it's so important to plan that time in your calendar. Have it in your schedule. I sit down once a week with my wife. We do a schedule sync. We've been married now for 22 years and it saved our marriage in many ways. We've become a much better couple for this practice. We sit down once a week, we take out our calendars and we plan the entire week. Now it takes us maybe 10 minutes a week because we've been doing it for a while and most of the things in our calendar kind of stay the same from day to day. So having that time planned. So, okay, so now that you've done that, you've planned out the time in your calendar, let's do the external trigger. Okay, your, your son came in. Was there anyone else who was assigned parent duty that, at that time? Just you. Um, so here's the thing, and this is something I think particularly women uh, unfortunately need to hear because, and this is this is not my opinion, this is data backed and no woman is gonna think this is surprising, that women, even in the year 2023, studies find take on a disproportionate share of household administrative duties, even in dual income households, okay? This is just a fact, right? We know that women take on way more admin than their fair share. And frankly, it's time for that to stop. People who value equitable marriages need to split household responsibilities, split admin duties in a way that people understand what's my responsibility, what's your responsibility. The, the problem is that we don't sit down and clarify what our responsibilities are. So in my, in my house, household, my wife would get really upset at me and she'd say, Nir, don't you see the trash needs to be taken out? Don't you see our daughter needs to be fed? Why don't you do this stuff? And of course, my response was, honey, if you want me to do it, just ask. What's the problem? Just ask. And of course, I was asking her to take on yet another responsibility. Please be my camp counselor. So what I needed to do and what we've now done is to sit down and say, okay, here's all the stuff that needs to get done. Somebody's got to watch our kids while I'm working on my photography business or doing a podcast. Here, here's what I want everyone to realize. Okay, please, please listen. You can do it all. You can do it all, but not all at once. You're either watching your kids and being available for them or you're working on your photography business. You can't do it all at once. You can do it all, just not at the same time. My son just interrupted us twice. Are you judging me? I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging you because I am you. <laughs> Why do you think I wrote this book? You think I wrote this book because I know the answer? I wrote the book because I was looking for the answer. I was even more distracted than you are. Yeah. I mean, you, you've read the book, so you know the story of my daughter. This is what yeah. even inspired me to write the book in the first place. Was that I was with my daughter one afternoon. We had some daddy daughter time. And we had this book of activities that dads and daughters could play together. And one of the activities was to ask each other this question. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? 
And so here we are, we have this beautiful daddy-daughter time, and what do I do? I take out my phone, I say, oh, I'm so sorry, honey, I just got this one thing on my phone, let me just check this one thing. And then by the time I looked back and I took away the phone from my face, she was gone. Because I sent her a very clear message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. Which is fine if that time is for work. But it wasn't fine when that time was for her. So now my daughter, now this is when she was only six years old, but now she knows that when I'm with her, I'm with her. But when I'm working, I'm working, right? And so that's how we systematically look at it. And this is, this is so great that you have the self-awareness to have that moment in your mind where what, what I would advise, what, what I'd invite you to try is to say, okay, I planned to work on my photography business. What happened? Okay, it's only one of three causes, external trigger, internal trigger, and a planning problem. The difference between a distractible person and an indistractable person is that for a distractible person, these things keep happening again and again. Poelo Coelho has a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. If it keeps happening, we are deciding to be distractible. Whereas an indistractable person says, okay, you got me that one time, right? I was trying to, to, to work on my photography business and look, I got distracted. Okay, that'll happen once. Now, let me sit down for five minutes and figure out how can I make sure this doesn't happen again? How can I master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back the external triggers and prevent distraction with packs? Which by the way, we talked about the planning problem. Okay, so that'll be fixed for next time. Now you have a time in your calendar, 30 minutes to work on your photography business, okay? In your calendar. Step two, hack back the external triggers, right? So in my, there's a picture of it in the book, but in my family, my wife got, she went on Amazon and she bought what we call in our family, the concentration crown. The concentration crown is this little light up wreath that she puts on her head that looks ridiculous. And she wears it whenever she's working. Why? Because it interrupts the interruption. When mommy is wearing the concentration crown, that means the rule in our household is you cannot interrupt her unless you're bleeding. And guess what? Nothing bad happens. Okay, like if the kid's bleeding, they're going to come to you. But if they're not bleeding, it's okay. They'll figure it out, right? And so having that conversation with them, and frankly, it's our fault, right? They just don't know whether it's something they can interrupt us or not, right? So that's one technique that we can use to interrupt the interruption. There's other. There's a. There's a, also a screen sign that I put in every copy of the book. This piece of cardstock that you can tear out and put on your computer monitor, so you can just use this at work. It, this works really well on, on kids. It also works really well on husbands because I used to interrupt my wife all the time when she needed to, to, to focus. But let's deal with the, the thorniest of the three, okay? The internal trigger. Tell me more about the feeling you had about what, that your son needed you. Tell me more about that. Well, I think I just, as I said, I'm in this season of where every fall I know this that I take on too much while just managing all the other things that I have to manage. And so I have not been a great parent recently. And so I keep telling my kids, Hey, that Christmas list, let's sit down and go through what you want for Christmas and we'll put it on your list. And that makes them very excited. So I've been wanting to do that. And I felt like I've said no to him day after day. And I was like, you just need to do this. You just have to mm. do it and be a good parent. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, do you think you're a bad parent? Why, why do you think you're a bad parent when you focus on your business? Um, I do think I'm a bad parent recently. Yeah, I do. I think that, uh, like you said, that phone distraction in front of my face is happening a lot more often these days, but I think it's cause I've lost my babysitter. So I don't get work time each week. So I'm again trying to put the work throughout the day where I can. And what, what, what makes you, what part of that makes you a bad parent? 
Um, I just think that my may, I'm a mom. And so it feels like I was supposed to be a teacher. And then my husband and I had our daughter and I was like, oh, I guess I'll just start having kids now. And that was my main job. And then I took on these other two jobs. And so it just feels like I'm neglecting that first job I signed up for. What are you not giving your kids enough of that would make you a bad parent? Quality time. Quality time. Okay. Quality time. Listen to what you just said. Quality time. You know where I'm going with this, right? Tell the listeners where you're going with it. It, Because it wasn't quality. It wasn't quality. Well, or time. So you're blaming the fact that you're working on your business for not being a good parent. Mm. But what your kids are missing is quality time, which has nothing to do with the time you're spending on your business, right? You could be working on your business in the middle of the night and giving your kids quality time and still be a good parent under your definition. Like if you could... Uh, have a magic pill that like gave you all the rest you needed and you didn't have to sleep and you had all the time that you wanted to give your kids during the day and then you worked at night. You could have both, right? Hypothetically. It's not your business that's the problem. It's the time that's the problem. So don't say I can't have them both. You can have them both. You just can't have them at the same time. It's not your business's fault that you're not spending enough time with your kids. What, the, what what's happening is that you're not planning the time with your kids. So if you could sit down and plan that time and say, you know what, my son, we're going to go over that Christmas list Tuesday at 3 p.m. as soon as you get home from school. Hey, it's on my calendar. There it is. Is it on your calendar? Right? Your, your son should have a calendar too. And we've got that time planned for it. Because what you're doing, here's the thing. You want to do so much. And so you've got this gigantic mental or paper to-do list. But because there's no constraints to your dreams, you have huge dreams, which is what makes you so awesome. But because there are no constraints, you think that it's, that it's possible to do them all all the time. Whereas when you make a time box calendar, you're forcing yourself to make trade-offs, which is why what I want you to try is to take out a calendar, look at the hours in the day, start with, you. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. So first thing, I want you to put time in your calendar from the 24 hours you have every day. How much time do you want for sleep? We know how important sleep is. Our kids have bedtimes. Do we have bedtimes? (laughs) Right? Put it in your calendar. I go to sleep at this time and I wake up at this time. We have breakfast from this time to that time. I take a shower from this time to this time. It doesn't have to be, don't do anything less than like 30 minutes or so. Okay. Don't, don't, don't do like five minute increments, but 30 minute increments. Then I want to spend, for for myself, it's important that I spend X time reading, Y time exercising, if that's important to you. I'm not saying it should be, okay? If you don't want to do those things, don't do them. But whatever you think is important for your values to take care of yourself, put it on your calendar. Next, your relationships. Okay, ask yourself, what what are the definition, what's the definition of habits? Uh, Sorry, what's the definition of values? My definition of values are the attributes of the person I want to become. It's how the person I would want to become spends their time. So how much would the mother that you want to become, you said, I want to be a good parent. That's one of your values. How much time would the person I want to become spend with their kids, spend with their spouse, spend with their parents, spend with their siblings, spend with their friends, put that time in your calendar. It's going to be a fixed number and it's not going to be all the time, right? Put that time in your calendar next. And finally, put your work. How much time do you want to spend podcasting a week. How much time do you want to spend on the photography business per week? Now, here's what's going to happen. Invariably, you're not going to have enough time. You're just not. You're 
your, your dreams are way too big for your calendar. But this is how we bring your dreams into reality. Because if you try and do everything, you'll accomplish nothing. You know it's true, right? When we try and do everything, we can't focus, we can't do our best work, and then we look back and regret and say, ah, I really should have spent more time with my kids, or I should have spent more time working on my business, or I should have spent more, whatever, I should have exercised more. The goal isn't to do everything. You can't do everything. The goal is to look back at your day, your week, your month, your life, and say, I spent it the way I wanted to spend it. But not retroactively, you have to do that proactively. So the only way to do that is to create a time box calendar for the week ahead and plan how much time, given our limited resource of time, do I wanna spend on these various values in my life? Time with my friends, time with my family, time with work, time with whatever, time for myself. How much do I want to spend? And then execute on that plan because that's the only way you know the difference between traction, things that are on your calendar, and distraction, everything else. No, that is such great advice. I think I've always been hesitant to – well, actually, I do – do you use a paper calendar or do you use your phone? I use Google Calendar. Okay. And then I can have it on my phone. And the reason I use Google Calendar is that uh, you have reoccurring appointments, right? So like I basically exercise the same time, (laughs) you know, I have breakfast the same time. So I don't have to rewrite it all the time. So I like Google Calendar uh, on my website, nearandfar.com forward slash schedule hyphen maker. There's a free tool that gives you a Google sheet that you can use if you don't like Google Calendar for whatever reason. Uh, Some people do that. That's very easy too, because then, you know, you just put it into a Google sheet. There's a, a template that you can download from my site that makes it super easy. Um, yeah, so the problem isn't the tool. The, one of the problems, by the way, the biggest problem, the biggest objection is like, okay, that's fine, but you don't understand my life, right? What if shit happens that I didn't plan for? What do I do then? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. There are two kinds of things that can happen. There are the things that are predictable, and then there's things that are not predictable. The not predictable things are, oh my God, my house got struck by lightning, right? That's one in a million, okay? Yeah. The, un- the predictable are things like my kid got sick. You know what? Kids get sick. It happens, right? If, and I love how for some reason when, when a kid gets sick, a woman is expected to stop everything and take care of the kid. But if, uh, if, if, if maybe it's not a gender issue, I guess it's more of like what kind of job you have. Let's say a homemaker. Let's take gender out of it. So let's say a homemaker, they're expected to stop everything and take care of the kid. But if a heart surgeon... Right. If a, if a heart surgeon's kid is sick, does the heart surgeon stop operating? Of course not. What does the heart surgeon do? Mm-hmm. The heart surgeon has contingency plans. Mm. There's a plan in place because we know kids get sick. It happens. <laughs> right. So, but why? Why somehow? Uh, you know, someone who's a homemaker and has a side business. Oh, their time is worthless. Right. That's okay. That's their responsibility. Sometimes that might be the plan. In which case, if you say, "Look, there's nobody else. It's my responsibility." Fine then that's your primary responsibility. If your kid is not sick, then lucky you, you get some extra time. But if your primary responsibility is my time is here I am, I'm here for my kid. If the kid takes a nap, sure, work on your business. But it shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to try and work in the business while I'm taking care of my kid, right? Because you said, hey, to live out my values, that time is supposed to be spent fully present with my child. Yeah. So that that's why this, the, the, you know, it, the, it becomes an excuse to say, well, what if something crazy happens? If it really is, oh my God, I could not have planned for it. There is a, a you know, a war breaks out. Okay, that's, un- that's unpredictable. But, but there are far more things that actually are quite predictable. Traffic, right? What, what would you do if tomorrow Oprah Winfrey called you and said, hey, I want to have breakfast with you tomorrow morning at 
9 a.m. sharp. Well, what would you do? Traffic might happen. Yeah. Traffic is predictable. You're not going to tell Oprah, oh, sorry, I'm a half an hour late. Traffic. Well, you're going to leave earlier. <laughs> you're yeah. going to leave some budget space there. Yeah. So, But somehow when it's, oh, I want to exercise, I want to meditate, I want to pray. Oh, that's okay. It's all right if I don't do it because, oh, you know what? The unexpected happened. Traffic. Yeah. No, this, is, this has been so good. And what's funny is that there is so much still in your book that we haven't talked about. So I highly recommend people go and pick up a copy, but where can they do that if they want to connect with you online or grab a copy of your book? Sure, absolutely. So my website is nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R-and-far.com. And if you go to indistractable.com, there's actually an 80-page workbook. We couldn't fit it into the final edition of the book, so we decided to give it away for free. That's at indistractable, I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E.com. Perfect. Well, I don't think I prompted you for this, but I asked my guests two questions at the end of every episode. And the first one is, what's been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? A beneficial resource. Uh, you know, we, my wife and I are big fans of Byron Katie. Do you ever, you ever heard of her, Byron Katie? No. She's, she's amazing. Uh-uh. She's a fantastic author. I think she, everybody in the world should read Byron Katie. If you have ever had an argument with a member of your family, uh, which is everyone, I would assume, you need to go read Byron Katie. She has this process called The Work, and it has changed our lives. Uh, and it's very practical, uh, very simple, nothing uh, you know, nothing that would conflict with anyone's faith <laughs> in any way. It's a wonderful technique. Okay, I'll have to put that in the show notes and check it out for myself. I thought you were going to say, I was talking to uh, Jenny Urich of A Thousand Hours Outside, and she has just read your book. And she was talking about the Forest app that you talk about. And so I thought that would be a resource you should Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. share it really quickly <laughs> what the Forest app is. Sure. Yeah. So the forest app is, is great. So basically it's a pre-commitment device. Remember we talked about those four steps. The last and final step is, is uh, preventing distraction with pacts. And so it turns out, ironically, that one of the ways we can create these pacts against distraction is by using technology to prevent technology distraction. And so there's this wonderful app called Forest uh, that basically you, you open up, you decide how much time you want to do focused work for, you put your phone down. And if you pick your phone up, there's this cute little virtual tree on your home screen that gets chopped down, that dies. And you don't want to be a virtual tree murderer. So it's enough of a reminder to tell you, nope, that's not what you plan to do right now. Get back to work. So that that's an example of a pact and a technology that's uh, that's very useful. And it's so it's so easy. Uh, you know, ki- Kids can use it starting at age six, seven. Yeah. No, I love that. I wanted to make sure we put that in this episode because I think that's really beneficial as well. Um, okay. Well, my last question, and then I'll let you go, is what is something that you can't stop talking about? Something I can't stop talking about? Oof. I don't know. That's a tough one. Give me, give, what do you, give, give me a, a hint here. What, do, what can you not stop talking about these days? Well, I would say moving. I also really love fall. The trees are changing here in Ohio mm. and it's beautiful. Yeah. Those are the things I'm talking about. Okay. I'll tell you what I can't stop talking about. This is the subject of my next book, actually. Uh, placebos. Oh, I am yeah. fascinated by placebos. Yeah. So cool. So I've been diving deep into the research around beliefs and uh, uh, how placebos work and how we can harness placebos. It's a very cool topic. Yeah. Well, whenever you release that book, I'll have to have you back to to explain more. But this was so this was so great. Again, the book is called Indistractable and it's available wherever you can get books. And thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. 
To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less. Make this Christmas memorable with Goat Guns. Get the coolest miniature gun models for your collection. From historical classics to modern weapons, we have something for every firearm and hobby enthusiast. Surprise your loved ones with the gift of Goat Guns, the perfect blend of quality and detail. Shop now and spread the joy at GoatGuns.com.